0: I mean what's nice about it is that I've got different levels of responsibility on each of them so I think um, I'm not used to having my I would normally direct through um headset mic so I'm not used to having my pop shield here it's nice I can rest my nose on it that's
1: um, <laughs> <laughs> what it's for pop and nose shield absolutely Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's talk. let's talk. Let's talk. talk.
2: Kirsty Gilmore is one of the people in this industry I truly admire Moving from broadcasting at the BBC for 8 years Kirsty has touched virtually every facet of audio as an actor as a sound designer a demo producer music and now directing she won the prestigious BAFTA Breakthrough Award in 2021 as a director, in fact. Having recently come off directing Baldur's Gate 3, among other titles, Kirsty agreed to spend some time with me and Gillian discussing the industry from her vantage point.
1: All right, let's talk voiceover, Kirsty Gilmore. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah.
2: So you're one of those rare breeds. You were the actor, now mm-hmm. you're the director. Oh, wait, Gillian, you too. <laughs>
0: I was about to say voiceover, it's less common, but I don't know whether it is, to be honest. Um, Maybe it's just because at the moment, every week or so, I get another actor going, hi, I'd like to be a director. How do I become a director? Mm -hmm. And it feels like, I guess since the pandemic, when a lot of actors were looking for, obviously, other income streams, but it feels like voice directing and games directing in particular has become a lot more visible, I feel. You know, just quite recently, I think over the past few years, where in a way it felt a bit cliquey before a lockdown, I feel like people have become more aware of it as a possible role. I mean, I know a lot of actors who want to be directors. I know a lot of actors who do direct to a greater or lesser amount of ability. I know a lot of actors who probably shouldn't direct. Terrible thing to say. Um, <laughs> these days I think of myself more as a director and a casting director than I do an actor because I, I do a lot less acting than I used to. Mm-hmm. Directing's very much taken over and I am definitely a better director than I am an actor.
2: So for you, I mean, was the directing a choice? That's what you want to do, or is it just that's where the work went? A little both?
0: No, I think actually I did make a I did make a conscious decision when I started getting into directing, I'm gonna say ten years ago. So I didn't really consider myself to be a director because it wasn't something I did all the time. So I directed, but I wouldn't say if somebody said, are you a director? I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I don't. I'm not a director because I had a, an idea in my head of what a director looked like. Mm. And because I'm based in the UK, that meant directors directed theatre, serious theatre or films, you know, or TV. So I'm, because I didn't do any of that, I was like, well, I'm not a director. So that's not in a lot of way that a voice actor, you know, the, you still get voice actors going, well, I'm not an actor. Which isn't right, obviously, but do you know that you get that snobbishness? Well, if you're not doing film or screen or theatre, then you're not an actor, despite the fact that every day you go behind a microphone and you act your little socks off. You're not an actor. And I felt that way about being a director. And then I guess I made a conscious decision when I decided that actually I wanted to concentrate on directing, then it was something I definitely pursued for a long time. And then opportunities came along because I was a voice actor, because I knew people but I was already, when I started to get more opportunities, I was already pursuing directing and very much going down that path and learning things from people and reading stuff and getting as much opportunities as I can. I think being an actor really helped, definitely. it's. Um, I actually had an actor say to me last week, I think, he said, oh, I can tell you're an actor because you have real insight on what it's like to be on this side of the mic. It was a mocap shoot. So in the volume, you have a real idea of what it's like. And I said, Yes. I'm glad that's coming across. He said, yeah, the notes you gave me really made sense to me as an actor. And I thought she's got to be an actor as well. Yeah. So I think that definitely comes into it. I like to think of my directing style as being influenced by a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And my acting is definitely one of them. Although it took me a long time to get out of this, but I'm not a director who thinks because I'm an actor, how would I do this? How would I play this role? Because it's not about me. If I was cast in that role, I'd be the one behind the mic or in the vocab volume. So it's never that for me. So I'm when I'm a director, when I'm I'm a director, when I'm an actor, I'm an actor. And yes, sometimes I'm director as an actor and I think I probably wouldn't have directed that way. And often when I'm a director, I see someone and objectively I go, that's not the way I would have imagined that note to happen. But again, it's not about me. It's about them and our collaboration and they bring something collaborating together. That was a very long answer. A very relatable answer, I would say. Good. Yeah. I've already. I've already done eight hours of directing today. You wouldn't. You would think I would have talked myself out, except for the fact that I totally believe that directing is less about me and more about the actor. So actually, it was the actor doing most of the talking and me going, "Good job, nice." Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit crazy at the moment. Uh, that time of year, I guess.
1: What do you mean that time of year?
0: I always find myself busy in January, February with games and mm-hmm. animation. To be honest, uh, which I also do. There's a big, big project that I've worked on for years, and they're really crunching to get stuff through. I'm not sure whether games has a quiet time of year, to be honest.
2: For me, it's December and January.
0: It, yeah, December. Yeah, that's fair. What's nice about it is that they're all very varied. So i have varying levels of responsibility. Like one or two of them, I'm just one of a team of voice directors or performance or mocap directors. I come in, I do my, you know, I'm booked on whatever. I'm in charge of. Of my bit, but I'm not the lead director, I'm not casting, I'm just doing my bit. Mm -hmm. I have to know, I have to do all the prep, I have to know about the game, that's all fine. It is, you know, shift work as much as you get for direction come in and do my thing. That's it. You've got this part. You've got this actor to direct doing this. Then you go on to this actor doing this. Great. Now in the afternoon, I'm doing a different game, which is what I did today. I did one game with uh, mocap in the morning and then I did another game with just voice in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of a couple of games like that, which are interesting. That's good. It keeps me on my toes having to figure out where I am and whether I'm directing elves or it's a first person shooter. Yep. So that's good. And some of the others are like, I've got a big project that I'm in, that I'm working on where I'm one of a team of casting directors and it's an enormous game and it's an enormous role and that will roll on for a few more months. And that is just casting. So that's a lot of going through IMDB and watching show reels and bugging clients for casting briefs and stuff like that. And then I've got a micro budget indie game, which is really, really great. And I'm casting and directing on that. And it's a very hardcore subject matter. It's about domestic abuse and mental health and it's very sensitive. And so that's got a whole different set of things around it. And then I've got a sci-fi game and then I've got something else and then I've got something, you know, it's all very bits and pieces of what I'm involved with. The sci-fi game, I'm doing the end-to-end dialogue process. So from casting right through to delivery of assets. So they're all different stages, which is quite good. So I yeah. have stuff where I'm just casting and that's all I deal with. And I have stuff where I do everything apart from editing, which I outsource. And then I've got stuff which is in between, kind of, which is nice.
2: What would you prefer to do? End to end or a piece? Is there a prefer?
0: I don't know. I mean, well, because I'm making that face, it probably means no at the moment. But that changes, huh. probably changes depending on the project. Yeah. You know, you do a project and you're just directing and it's awful. You're like, I want more control. It's awful because you don't feel you have control over stuff and you want more autonomy and you want I've worked on projects as a voice director where the casting was appalling and I had nothing to do with it and it was done by the wrong people and it was awful and it caused loads of problems and it meant they had to recast. And so you come out of that situation and go, well the next project I do, I really want to have casting control. Yeah. So that kind of feeds off what I like about doing end-to-end stuff is that I learn more about the process of games making in general, and it gives me a lot more connection with the developers, whereas a lot of the direction work I do is through audio outsources in the UK, so I am a step beyond. So it means that I don't have a direct relationship with the client. It means that I'm hired by a middle company, and I, I am contracted to them or freelancing to them, and then they deal with the client, so it's a step removed. So I quite like doing end-to-end stuff because it means that I can, without sounding like a total wanker, implement a vision. You know, I can actually say to the client, this is how I think the dialogue should be. Yeah. And we talk about it and we can have a relationship in that way. And I get to suggest stuff and you can then go on and, you know, and make that happen. Mm -hmm. And that's very satisfying. I was recording something this week where... We were doing something that I had suggested in the casting process as something we could look at as kind of a this could be the overall sound for this character and this will give you flexibility, your your sound designers about what they want to do and your voice designers, what do you want to do? I think if we wanna do something like that, we're gonna to have to put it in the casting brief because we're gonna to have to hear our actors approach these different ways of doing it. Sorry, I have to be vague because I'm under NDA. Sure. It was really gratifying recording some of that this week because this was the second round of recording we've done for this project. And after the first one, the sound designer had to think about what they wanted. And then they came back and said, yes, I want to go with that idea and I want to do this with it. And then I've now been able to hear how that works in game. And now we're doing the second lot of it. That's really gratifying to go. That was an idea. I had it in my head. We discussed it with the team. We got to implement it at the casting stage. And really work with that whole idea. So through casting, through directing, through recording, into editing, into implementation and go that whole route. And I could be involved every way in the process and say to things like to the dialogue editors, this is how this dialogue is going to be implemented. That means we want to treat it in this sort of a way, that kind of thing. It was just really nice and not to feel like you do your job and that's it. Because many projects I direct and then I have no idea what happens until I see something on social media that they announce the game. And I'm like, oh, I worked on that. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. I
1: actually have a kind of a question, though, that leads a little bit to that thing that you're just saying Mm. that goes back to before a couple of things I tweaked in my mind that I had a question about. So when you're directing and you are on a project where there are multiple directors, Mm -hmm. you're working with specific actors. You've got other people working with other actors. Mm -hmm. How is that cohesive? Obviously, you can direct people to different levels of acting and approach. You have characters that are interacting with each other. Are you working with a character that's interacting with another character that you're not seeing so you don't actually know how they're reacting? (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, that happens a lot. I've done a lot of projects like that. There's a project I'm working on at the moment which has a very large directing team. So we're talking more than 10 directors on it across multiple, working with a lot of different actors. This is the largest one, but I've definitely, oh, having said that, I don't know how many directors are on Call of Duty, to be honest. Mm. I'm just one of several directors and casting directors on Call of Duty. I have no idea how many people, the most recent one. So that was a slightly different story, though, because the actors I was directing don't interact with other people in quite the same way. I can talk about that in a second.
1: Do you find that it goes together? Do you ever see or you never really know because you don't see it until you hear like, well, the game's out.
0: So there's a couple of things with this. This very much depends on two things, which is with a game that you are working on with lots of different directors, it depends on communications and documentation and systems. So basically, if you have a dialogue system that is set up so that when the dialogue is edited, then it can be put into that system and then another director can come in and hear that, be able to listen to what that character sounds like and play that character to the actor in the session, that makes a difference. I use the word system very generically. It can be like a bespoke system. It can be there's a couple of applications on the market. There's a couple of programs on the market that do it because they keep advertising at me on LinkedIn. I haven't tried any of them, but there are. I'm sure they're very good, but they send me messages asking me to try them. But it can be as straightforward as like just playing out clips off of a Windows Media Player or whatever during your session or having an Excel spreadsheet set up with an automation with a Media Player like VLC. Mm -hmm. But having a system set up so that when clips are either recorded, raw or edited, whatever you have, you can then connect those to the lines and play those lines back to actors. That makes a huge difference for consistency. And even just as a solo director, I do this with projects all the time, especially with people. I love writers. I love games writers, um, but games writers will not necessarily have any experience with dialogue as an acting dialogue. They don't really think that if they've written five beautiful lines and those five beautiful lines have been recorded and then they come back later and they go, do you know what would be cool (laughs) if we need a line inserted between one and three? Yeah. Because the stories change. We need to clarify that. We've done user testing and nobody understands who this person is we're talking to. So we need to stick a line there which says, Oh, by the way, the guy you met yesterday, he's my brother. And that happens, as you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is fine because stories expand and things get changed and that kind of thing. But if you've recorded lines one, two, three, four, five and suddenly you've got one A to record with an actor. You really need to know what lines one and two sounded like to get consistency. Mm-hmm. And I have that as a solo director. I've just done that with a project. This is the advantage of doing end to end because I have all their lines and I can just find them and play them during the session and go, this is what we're matching. Mm-hmm. This is where we have to end. We need those three lines in the middle. You need to start at this emotional place and end here. Mm-hmm. And then they will they fill in the gaps. And this is the journey we're going to take to get there. Right. Also, references that's the documentation thing. When I work in mocap, we do a lot of screenshotting of bass poses. They do a lot of uh, recording of videos so that we have a reference, just a very, you know, reference file of what that person moves like, what they sound like. And then we've got that to pass on. And handover, just communication with your other directors. Hi, we worked with Benny today. Benny is a very experienced actor, but his Manchester accent isn't as solid as we thought to believe. So we've actually just kind of changed it, not specifically to Manchester, but we've made it more of a general Northern. So I know it's his Manchester in the bio, but we're going to make it more of an, a general Northern.
1: It's like an intake form. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you have that. Yeah. He's presenting a less than stellar accent.
0: (laughs) It's, but it's sometimes, that's a bad example. Uh, but, But, you know, sometimes you just, but you write, but you do handover notes. You know, you do, you do like such and such is, they need 20 minutes to get into it. This person is really new to games and very enthusiastic, but needs to be reminded that they're not on stage anymore this person. I know that the client thinks she can sound like a 15-year-old, but she really, really can't because she's in her 50s. <laughs> and I'm sure that they work with her when she could do a 15-year-old, but that's not anymore. And when I talked to her agent, they were like, are you sure she doesn't do teenage voices? You know, things like that. But also just things like, this was great. We went through this. You can really work very fast with this actor. They really get it. They're very on it. Mm-hmm. We don't need more than two takes per line. If they nail it in one, keep going. You know, that kind of thing. We left this dialogue because this is really tricky and we mm-hmm. We're going to need to schedule more time with it because it's very emotional and we actually need to block out a proper hour for it. So just ignore that, skip that scene, move on to something else. So communication is a big yeah. a big thing, especially when you're in crunch or when you're pushing through things. But it is tricky. It is tricky. And I always have to think you really value the colleagues you've worked with for a long time and the, actors, the directors that I've known for years and I've worked with for years. And we can do quite quick handovers with each other. But then... If I'm handing over to a director I don't know, you want to assume they're at the same level as you, but they might not be. Mm -hmm. And you don't know that. So you've got to be careful that your notes are clear, that you don't assume things. I almost said to someone recently, they asked what the game, um, a new director um, on a project they're like, what the game was. And I almost wrote, very, very standard FPS. It's all barks, watch your vocal fatigue, but a lot of them are actually very conversational anyway. And I wrote that and went, I don't know anything about this person. Mm. They might not even know what an FPS is. So I have to roll back and go, it's a shooting game. Yeah. But not to sound mean to sound patronizing, but just because you've got to be a bit careful about it. This is not pointing the finger at anybody I work for. I love you all. All of you love you. <laughs> but, it's a, um, but I think one of the things the games company and probably a lot of companies don't do super well sometimes is like handovers and onboarding particularly yeah so i've been in a lot of situations where you are working with a big team of directors and people just don't know what they're doing not because they're not competent but because the company themselves has just gone here's a spreadsheet
2: yep absolutely
0: go for it and these people are coming in and they may or may not be experienced but there's no it doesn't matter how experienced you are in games if you're just given like a spreadsheet with nothing no background on what the game's like yeah Doesn't matter how experienced you are, you're going to flounder for a bit until somebody goes, oh, right, it's a fishing game. Yeah. This bit here, even though it's not marked like that, this is the tutorial. This is the cinematics. I know they've called it something weird, but it is the cinematics. This is the way the studio works. This is the way the client works. Don't worry if they don't say anything. They'll pipe up if they're unhappy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She interrupts you a lot. It's not because she's rude. It's because she's on a terrible Zoom connection and she's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've always thought that really bugs me when people don't do handovers and onboarding systems really well. Mm-hmm. So that's something I try to do go, this is helpful. If it's a new project and you're new to a project, these are the helpful documents. This is what you can do. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I've gotten into situations where you're coming in to help another director, Mm. whether part of a team or even a smaller thing than that, and they just presume that you're going to do things a certain way. Mm. Uh. And that's your onboarding thing like, oh, well, you're a director, you're known, you must be competent to go do your thing. And it turns out to be not the thing that they want, Mm. that if you had simply Worked in a session together, for instance, Mm. and talked about that, it probably would have solved the issues. Mm.
0: A lot of what I'm doing is in studio recording because that's what the UK does a lot of, particularly with AAAs and high end indie games, AA games. And uh, that's because a lot of the actors I work with are in London, most of them are, or people are used to working in London because that's the way it works. I have done it with LA actors. Like I mentioned, it was a share, it was over Zoom sharing sound or over Teams sharing sound. It obviously, the delay thing does fall down a little bit, but it does work. When you get it working, it can be a really useful tool. I am kind of interested in trying these new systems. I can't remember. There's been a couple of companies that's come out with them. I don't know if you know them, but they are kind of an all one-in-the-box voice recording, virtual voice recording studio where you record into the system, you play back out of the system, and I think that will allow this.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, they've advertised to me. They keep sending me messages on LinkedIn going, hi, Kirsty are you interested in game audio solutions? For free. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, sure. Can I try it first? Yeah. I guess if I I had a project that I was starting from scratch, I keep thinking that maybe I will. If I was having a project that I was doing completely remotely starting from scratch, then I might think about it. It would have to be a, I don't want to do a really large one, so it's probably a small one and just give it a go. But I'm interested. I mean, I found it as... Much of a competent director as I feel I am, I cannot replace different actors having played that part, you know? You can read in for um actors all the time. Some actors don't like you to do that. But just hearing how someone reacted in the moment, especially for like emotional scenes, especially for complex scenes, it can be really useful. And even at the start of a recording project, when you don't have anything recorded, so there's nothing to play back to people. What I've done every time a character meets another character is that I've played the audition sample from that actor to go, this is the voice. I can't play you their voice because we haven't recorded it yet, but this is the voice of the person you're talking to. This is the voice of the character you're talking to. So they can have that in their head Um, and we give them artwork as much as possible and give them videos if we've got any concept art, if we've got any video, anything like that. So the actor in their head can build an idea of the character they're talking to. And I started doing that relatively recently, and I found it really pays off because they find that their character, if they're really locked into their character, they find their character has a reaction to it. And it's really interesting, just the way that I've had people go, oh, wow, that voice is so much funnier than I thought it would be. They're so quirky. And considering what they're saying, it makes me a little bit off balance. And I'm like, perfect, because that's how you need to feel about this character, they said I wouldn't have got that just from the text. But hearing the voice makes me go, oh, they're a bit odd. And the dialogue's not written like that, but that's the way we want them to be played. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's been really good. And it also is really helpful when people are playing like characters who have close relationships, you know, siblings, partners, parents, that kind of thing, where you just want an idea. As a director, you want those parts to match. You want somebody to sound like the daughter or the son or the non-binary person of a mum or a dad or a non-binary person. You know, you want them to sound like they have that parental relationship. That's really important. And I know in real life we don't necessarily sound like their parents, although I totally sound like my mum, just slightly less kiwi and younger. <laughs> but uh but you know you sometimes I really do. I really do. Um but I um but you know sometimes you see, you hear people and you're like, oh, you sound super different. But often you find that people's intonation patterns are similar, even if they grow up in different places and they've got very different accents. Yeah,
1: absolutely. For an actor, it's really important. You need to help them with as much information as you can.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if I go, this is what your mum sounds like. This is what your dad sounds like. Recently we had, this is what your little girl sounds like. This is the daughter you're talking to and this is how she sounds. It really changed it from an actor who isn't a dad And to play the sound of his daughter, we did a path. And I'm like, I'm just not getting paternal. I don't really buy you as a dad. And I know you can do this. And I've got the audition recording of your daughter. So I'm going to play you that. And immediately he heard this little girl and he just locked into it.
1: Mm, That's fabulous.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't know, you know, he just suddenly, it was like he was bending down talking to a six-year-old, you know, it was really, really great. Right. And it was just something about that that really locked it in. Yeah. And I think it's not going to be applicable to absolutely every game. It certainly wasn't that applicable in Call of Duty. <laughs>
1: I wanted to ask you a question from before that is switching a little from your directing into your casting director hat. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Where you mentioned, you know, you were listing off the jobs that you were doing and one is you've got to do casting on it. And so you're going to be watching show reels. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So you're going to be actually watching on camera acting reels, but for
0: casting your voice people. This particular casting is a performance capture casting. So it is visual, but I do watch on camera reels if people don't have voice reels or if I feel somebody's voice reel or voice demo just isn't very engaging. I want to get a sense of the actor as a whole. I do watch a lot of on-camera reels to get an idea of how an actor physicalizes things, how they do things as a whole. I find sometimes, this is hilarious because I used to produce voice demos, but I find voice demos to be, sometimes I can sound just very over-manufactured and I don't know whether I'm getting a real voice. And also, I understand why people do it, but I don't like it as a trend A lot of voice actors, when they're starting out, they um, even if they're not from the U.S., they will have a U.S. accent as their first clip because they feel like the U.S. market is bigger. Mm -hmm. And I really, really don't like it because I I really want to hear people's natural voice. I want to hear what their natural accent is. And as a starting point, often if I can't get that off somebody's voice demo, then that's what I'll look at. It's also very useful for... A dramatic acting like a lot of voice demos it's just very it's still very as much as we all bang on about real acting and very grounded and naturalism and mm-hmm. realism and very believable characters you still get a lot of people who i think sound quite caricature mm-hmm. you get a lot of demos that it's people doing voices you got a lot of demos where people are like here's my character demo and it all sounds like anime or it all sounds like animation characters and that's fine but that's not what i'm looking for in the UK, we have a um, a website called Spotlight, which is an acting database. It's a very old thing. It was a book. It was paper long before it was a website, dear God. It's a directory. And I use that all the time as a casting director in the UK because you can go to an actor's page and it's like a one-page website. It's got their showreel. It's got their voice demo clips. It's got a list of all their credits if they keep them up to date. It's got a list of where they trained. It's got special skills. It's got additional information that can be very useful, like their location. It's got their gender identity. It's got their height, if you particularly want to know that, which I do for some performance capture jobs because we're specifically looking for people of a particular height for various reasons. So that's what I use them for. I mean, I never want to count someone down out of a job because they don't have a voice demo, because there's lots of reasons why somebody might not have a voice demo. Right. And because a lot of the casting I do is for projects that's recording in the UK and UK studios, then I do have the flexibility of going to people's showreels and going, hi, oh, that's, you know, you sound like you might be able to do this. Let's ping your agent an email and ask for an audition. I do very, very few castings just off demos. Mm. So I will almost always ask for an audition anyway, and it just opens up my pool a little bit more. And also, more and more as people, um, and rightly so, go for authentic casting, a lot of the people I'm looking for don't necessarily have any kind of game voice experience or any kind of voiceover experience necessarily. I've done big castings for non-binary characters where we looked for a wide pool of different non-binary actors in a specific age range and accent range. I've done stuff for a lot of different languages where I'm asking people having to speak multiple languages, being native in a particular language where they don't have a voice demo because they're not based in their home country. So I don't get a lot of work in whatever language they happen to speak. And I don't want to count them out just because they don't have a clip or because their clips are terrible, (laughs) you know, like badly recorded or whatever, because they don't get to speak Catalan, Spanish. I
1: have a question about the motion capture part of it. Mm hmm. So. You're looking through people's reels and obviously with motion capture, their physicality is important. So then I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it, but the body type, <laughs> body type is a part of the casting, body shape.
0: No. Okay, Physicality is a part of the casting. Height can be a part of the casting. Mm-hmm. Definitely height. And sometimes if you're going for very specific roles, so very, very broadly, um, motion capture, I don't do a lot of soul motion capture that's just motion capture, no voice at all. So it's just for like in-game mechanics and things like that. I don't do a lot of that. Sometimes they look for very specific physical stuff. Sometimes that is because they are matching an existing actor. So for example, when they did say Horizon Forbidden West, the actor who played Aloy has a certain physical size and all of her cinematics would have been done off that size. But for the mechanical um, mocap in game, like the idle, you know, select screen idles, walk cycles, inserts, things where you're just selecting weapons and whatever menu type, that kind of thing. They don't necessarily use the same actor. But if they're looking to then get somebody to mocap her, they're going to get someone around the same size. Got it. Height is a definite thing. Mm -hmm. People think about that for definite heights. When they did Resident Evil Village, the character of the uh, big tall vampire lady, I can't remember the name for the light of it, they were specifically looking for tall women. Like they put a height on that casting. They were looking for that. So that does come into it. But body type, not really. I'm just interested in how people move. I'm interested in how connected they are with their voice and their body. Mm -hmm. Do they move naturally? Do they feel at home in what they're doing? Do I believe them as physically as I do vocally? Or are they very stiff? You know, do they have a freedom, a connection with their body? That's what I'm looking for. You just see some actors and you're just like, you're not really connected to what you're doing. I love your voice or whatever, but it just feels like you're not very comfortable with your physicality. That's what I'm looking for more than anything else. And that's what I, not necessarily all the time, but that is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for believability that comes through their physicality as well as their voice. And that's what a um, Shory will give me that idea. Can they be menacing Mm. with very little dialogue? Can they be vulnerable with very little dialogue? Mm. Can they have a lot of dialogue and not lose their physicality? You know, all that sort of thing.
2: I have a question for both of you. While it is changing, we're still in a male-dominated industry, especially when it comes to things like directing. You're both female directors. What are your thoughts about it? Should there be more, and not just because there should be more representation, but the reasons why, how do you feel about being a female director when every time you walk in, it's probably with a male, if you're seeing somebody else or that's who you're replacing or that's who they dealt with on the last one.
1: Well, I think it's a little bit hard to separate. I feel like for myself that you get something different by having me there, but that different is only a part of because I'm female. It's the difference of all of the things that make me a female acting background and my perspective on the world. But I do feel that my female perspective on the world It does make me encourage, I think, a more emotional connection in my directing than I perceive other people do. And I don't know if that's a male or female thing, but I do see directing where it's all very action oriented, action, and let's get the steps going. And I'm, but how do we feel about that? And Why are they doing that? And they're doing that because they're feeling something. To me, the emotional journey is so much more interesting that then results in why are we killing each other? Does that have to do with me being female? Maybe.
0: I've been asked about being female in male-dominated industries for over 20 years now, so that's a long that's a long time. And in terms of on a day-to-day basis, what I get frustrated about is, I mean, I've got been frustrated about so many things. It's a very big subject to unpack. What I feel is that because male directors have been the norm for a long time, I feel that still they are often allowed to get away with a level of competence that I would not be allowed to get away with. I feel that female and non-binary people and people who aren't who are non-male directors are judged to a different standard to the norm, which is male directors. And I've seen this in practice. I've experienced it myself. There's a lot more leeway. And I feel this is partly because the people hiring look at these newer male directors coming in and see themselves. That was me 10 years ago. That was me five years ago. And then they forgive them a lot. It is frustrating because I really try and push for diversity and representation in all the projects that I do. And it is very, very frustrating when you work that hard to try and bring people up to bring people in. And then just to turn around and see the next director who walks in the door is a cis white male who doesn't have any directing experience, when you've recommended four really great directors who are people of the global majority, who are very experienced, and they've just been rejected because the person hiring wants to hire their mate because they worked with them once and they think they're fun and they don't have any experience, but I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll learn. Yeah. And then then you have to carry people if they don't work out. and. That's incredibly frustrating. I think that's very, that still really bothers me a lot that there is still in games a sense of rewarding mediocrity. And I think that there are people who are promoted into managers and we talk about Fading Up and people talk about it as like, it's a meme now, but I see that happen all the time in games and I see it happening a lot in directing. And actors will say, I really don't like such and such director, but, you know, there's nothing, they're the friend, they're the mate of whoever, and there's nothing that's going to be done about that. What also, the emotional thing you talked about, Gillian, which I think is really interesting, not all men, not all male directors, but a lot of younger male directors that I see a lot of, is that they are not interested in working with the actor, they are interested in telling the actor what to do. Mm -hmm. So there's a very controlling thing about it, there's a very, I'm in the director's seat, I know what's best, and... I've had actors come to me who have been in very frustrating situations when they've said, that I don't believe this is what my character does. And they just shut down. No, I know best. No, this is it. Yeah. And sometimes as a director, you have a bigger picture and you know that a character needs to be a certain way. And that is fine. But I'm not talking about situations like that. I'm talking about when directors are like, this is my vision. Yeah. And this is the way it goes. And I've seen that. I'm not saying it's specifically a male thing, but I have seen it many, many more times in actors that identify as male rather than actors that identify as any other gender. And I see that a lot. And it feels like a control thing. When I see female directors and directors of other genders come in, I feel that they are very more collaborative, Mm -hmm. more willing to listen, more interested in the intentions of the character and giving the actors more emotional responses. It's difficult, but I still find it frustrating on a daily basis. I find I have been turned down for jobs to far less experienced directors, directors who've been directing a tenth of the time I have Mm -hmm. because they're male and they know the director yeah, and they know the person hiring. And that's happened. And there's nothing you can really do about that as a freelance director. It's not, it's nothing I can go to HR about. Right. I'm my HR. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Complain to yourself,
0: damn it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So we start that freelance (laughs) HR department.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there is a sense of the continuing in the norm. So if somebody cocks up, then there is a sense that that's okay, we were all there once. But if it's somebody who is not like you and they cock up, it's like, ooh.
2: Yeah, right.
0: You know, and I've, I've experienced it myself. And I think now that I am now going into places where I am the most experienced director there, I am a highly, you know, not or not necessarily the most, but of more experience than a lot of people, I get it less. But it's still definitely there. There is no easy answer to it. You keep pushing and you keep putting forward and you keep saying, I want more diverse working spaces or uh, places. And I mean, also just on that topic, I'm a white woman. I only have my experiences to go from. And there are definitely games where I feel that wouldn't this be more beneficial to have somebody who has a better understanding of this background so they can be part of it, particularly when you're looking for a really authentic experience and nobody on the development team has that part of experience. That's a whole other different thing. But there's a game that I've been working on which has non-binary characters on it. And it's been really great to have one of the writers who is non-binary. So if there is anything that comes up that's an experience and the actor's non-binary, the actor feels supported and I feel supported as a director that there is somebody there who can say, that's really not the way we see the world. Mm. potentially we could look at it in this kind of a way, Mm. you know? Yep. And it can be as simple as just how you approach gender identity in the script. It can be as complex as this feels that you're approaching this like a woman does. And this character doesn't identify as female. They've got a whole different side of things they come from. It can be more complex like that. So I think that's really important as well.
1: Thank you very much. This has been an amazing chat. But I could chat with you for such a long time and I actually really hope we
0: get a chance to do that in person as well. It's just been me going, bah, 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 ba ba oh. ba <laughs> ba 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 <laughs> ba 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 Clearly, well, you know. clearly. I didn't say enough in my sessions today. So I feel like I'm making up <laughs> for it. Thank making you.
1: for it.
2: That means you're a good director.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. The, the, I do I do try. I am a very actor, actor-led director. I lead from there. And also, it's just better. You know, if they're just, if they're doing a good job but I just go there going, yeah. Yeah, exactly. One more for safety. You know? Right. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Uh, are you going to do your sign off? Yeah. So, Randall. Gillian. All right.
2: Sure.
1: That's <laughs> a look on everybody's face right there. <laughs> Kirsty's having. <laughs> was, that, was that it? Yeah. Was exactly. that the sign off?
0: <laughs> oh. I think I was expecting something a little more.
2: Alright, maybe we should change the sign-off. You know, of course though, we're still listening to this podcast once it's obvious we're signing off. Hmm. Let's talk voiceover is hosted by Gillian Brashere, actor, director, visionary, and me, Randall Ryan, casting and voice director, and owner of Hamsterball Studios. We can both be found at thevoicedirector.world. Got comments, questions, or Just want to say, yeah, I am still listening after the sign-off, and I watch all the movie credits, too. And then reach out at info at letstalkvoiceover.com or randall at thevoicedirector.world. Find us at all your favorite places to get podcasts. You know, because thanks to AI and Big Brother, LTVO populates everywhere. We appreciate you for listening, and let's talk voiceover again real soon.